Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. Um, a couple of quick things before we chat to Mr. A. Browns. Um, if you're enjoying the Gig Life Podcast, please subscribe. Set your app to auto-download so the new episodes come straight to your phone, tablet, or computer. Share. Tell your friends about us. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, uh, you can leave a five-star review. All the episodes are free. No payment required ever to listen to the Gig Life Podcast. If you see the value in the Gig Life Podcast, you can donate. So uh, there's a link to that at thegiglifepodcast.com. All right, sweet as, here's Abe. Browns, a drummer, bass player, songwriter and producer from Sydney but now living in LA. Abe first picked up the drumsticks and started playing when he was age one. His father is legendary Sydney bass player Victor Rounds, so as you can imagine there was music in the house right from the beginning. Jamming with Victor's musician friends was commonplace and there was invaluable lessons learned there. Abe went to Newtown Performing Arts School and also studied with some local drumming legends. He was playing clubs from the age of 16 and cutting his teeth in the Sydney music scene at a very young age. Then he decided he wanted to go to Berklee School of Music in Boston, so at age 20, he left Sydney for the US. It was there he met legendary bass player, singer-songwriter Michelle Indagiocello, who came to Berklee to do a masterclass, and Abe was chosen to play with her. So from there, Michelle asked Abe to join her band, which he still does to this day. Abe's also gone on to play with Seal... Dole Bremen Jr., Blake Mills, Pino Palladino, Madison Cunningham, Mike Elizondo, Jeff Babco, and many, many others. Abe and his friend Jake Sherman had their own original project called Jake and Abe. The track you're listening to now is called It's Easy, and that's by Jake and Abe. I caught up with Abe when he was back in Sydney for the Christmas holidays. Such a cool hang. Hope you enjoy this chat. Ladies and gentlemen, give the drummer some. It's Abe Browns. Cheers. I think we're rolling. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Browns, welcome to the Gig Love Podcast. Thanks for having me, Stevie. How are Appreciate you? It. No worries, man. How are you? I'm good. Good. You're in town. You're from, well, you're, you're living in LA at the moment. Uh-huh, and that's you're home, home for Christmas. Yeah, I'm just home for Christmas, spending time with the family, yep. doing all kinds of Aussie things that I miss out in yep. living in America. Mm-hmm. All the classic things I love and miss, like going to the beach and eating seafood and Drinking Australian beer and catching up with my mates and yeah. all those things. And you went to the cricket? Went to the cricket. My grandma 
like two days ago, which was amazing. And uh, it was very hot, but we survived a couple of sessions. Oh, so that was the super that hot day. That was the super hot day. Wow, man. Which is crazy. My grandma was actually really down to go. I was like, I don't know, grandma, if we should do that. And she was like, no, nah, let's do it. I was like, all right. Took the bus in and watched Manus get his double ton. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry to bring that up, obviously. It's, it's fine. It's and, okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of cool with the cricket. Just don't talk about super overs. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Totally. Oh, man. Welcome. Yeah. I try and catch up on the cricket when I'm back home. Like, yep. when, I, when I'm living in the States, it's, mm. uh, yeah, just some nice nostalgia. Yeah. I grew up playing cricket too. So. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And golf as well, yeah? Yeah, big time. Golf. I kind of wanted to be a golfer. Still kind of do. <laughs> but there's no chance. Uh, but I play golf a lot and I play it every you day. Still play, you still play? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I was going to play today, but I played yesterday. Yeah. It's just nice. It takes my mind off things. It's a game. It's a singular sport. So it's just you. Yeah. And it's like a mind game, really. And it allows you to take, allows me to take my mind off other things that are going on. Mm. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. Um, I... Went through this phase of playing golf. Yeah, my cool. mates would kind of jumped on the golf thing and um, ended up destroying my back. Oh, really? Yeah, my discs. I mean, my technique. Just playing golf. Just from playing golf, from the spinning. Just going the too trunk. hard. Just going too hard. Just trying to. Yeah, people smash think it's it, not you know? athletic, but it is. Yeah, it's and you kind of have to warm up and yeah. like sort of stretch a bit before you just go and start smacking the ball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so actually, um, we're doing a bit of a clean up at home. So I found my old clubs and I've actually put them. Put them up for sale today. Oh, and really? I'm donating that money to, to Wires. Oh, you know, cool. the wildlife yeah. rescue fund for the oh, animals awesome. with bushfires. That's something I wanted to mention too. Like, you would have been in LA through the LA bushfires. Oh, yeah. Right. The, the Malibu ones that just happened yeah. and took out a whole bunch of uh, houses and, and people. And like, uh, then there was all that controversy about like celebrities and rich people getting there in private fire brigades. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Imagine that if that happened here, like if what? somebody hired, if you, I mean, that probably doesn't even exist here, but yeah, people were hiring their own oh. personal uh, fire brigades and other, while other people were getting destroyed. It's pretty, pretty nuts. What? <laughs> wow, that's crazy. I think Kanye, Kanye. Oh. Yeah. Fuck, fuck yeah. that guy, man. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. Yeah. So oh. how, would it, how does it compare to that? I mean, like the atmosphere and were you getting the smoke? That kind of thing down where you were? Or was it uh, more, yeah, a little bit, was, but it was yep. kind of like more on the coast, like north of where I am. Right. Um, so I wasn't getting as much. But I, d- I remember I did fly out last year here, and that's when the fires were on, and we flew over it. And I was oh, like, right. wow, crazy. Right. Right. And I actually was just driving a few months ago. I was playing, played a gig in San Francisco and drove down to Joshua Tree, which is the desert in California. Yep. And uh, we drove through... Uh, sort of like south from San Francisco, but not along the coast through the mountains and the canyons, and they were on fire, and that was crazy. Oh, we were wow. driving through it. Yeah. yeah. Um, a couple of months ago, Dad's here with beers. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, we'll yeah. stop for a sec. No, it's all good. <laughs> you can keep that part of it. Yeah. Dad said that John, who the Prime Minister lived on this street, Dad? Oh, John Howard. John Howard. Really? <laughs> Lives on this street? Uh, he, he was born here? He was oh, born. right. That's what I was going to say. Uh, he was a young member for uh, Cobra. Oh, right. When he was a young, young liberal. Yeah, right. Back in the day. Back in the day. You're not recording, are you? Oh, totally. All of it. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah, it's all. <laughs> <laughs> I won't take chips, but I'll take a beer. Yeah, please. Yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
Only in I don't think honey soy chicken chips exist in America. Really? Yeah. So you loving all that? It's the same when I go back to New Zealand. Right. Like this food. What do you miss the most? Um, do you eat meat, lamb? <laughs> not so much that, but New Zealand make a bacon and egg pie. Oh. Like a I've never had a pastry bacon pie. And egg pie. So you might have had like a quiche or yeah, yeah. But the bacon and egg pie has got little bits of onion in it, and it's just the best thing. Oh, so when man. I go back there, I just does it have gravy in it? No. No, okay. no. It's just just bacon and egg. <laughs> in a pie. It's the best thing. Yeah. And my mum and dad make them now. So mm-hmm. so when they come down, they always bring a homemade bacon and egg pie. It's the best. Thank you, sir. Squires. Oh, nice. Smashes. Smashes. Cheers. Cheers, man. Uh, we're just talking about the fires, eh? Mm. Um, we were talking about the fires. I just watched the Golden Globes with my mum. On the TV, mm. and it's crazy. Like all of Hollywood, we're talking about the fires that everyone's donated. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah, it's, man, it's been outstanding. Yeah, I yeah. think Nicole Kidman and uh, Keith Urban, what they gave five hundred grand. It's yeah, yeah. Did you hear about um, that Aussie comedian? She started off. Right, I heard about this. Started off thirty thousand, right? Now that's it's like thirty, 30 million, nearly thirty-five million. Jeez, that's amazing. It is a sick, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah I wanted to figure out something that I can do myself. Yeah, we've donated a little bit, like don't donate a little bit to Wires and also to the to RFS. But yeah, I just thought with my golf clubs today, you know, you know, whatever cash I get for that, I just give it to Wires. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's awesome. Um. All right, man. Well, let's roll back to beginnings for you, right? Uh-huh. So, from born in Sydney, and um, yep. you've, got, you've got a pretty cool dad. I do. Very yep. fortunate to have yep. a cool dad, cool family. Um, Everyone's cool. Yep. Um, Victor Rounds, mm-hmm. pretty well-known guy around these parts. Yep. Yep. So, you started playing drums when you were one. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's how it goes, apparently. I think I was just banging on pots and pans and then uh, I was gifted a tiny drum set, I think, when I was one or two right. for Christmas or something or birthday and then mm. it all kind of went from there, I think, yeah. Right. Well, let's stay back there for a bit. Okay, cool. Yeah, so... Um, Let me put myself in my one-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think back to... Yeah, yeah. No. no. <laughs> um, so do you, do you have early memories of, um, you know, being at jams with your dad and... People at the house jamming and yep. Well, uh, I think the p- first bass player that I played with jamming, I think Dad will tell you this, was Mark Costa. Oh yeah, really? Before Dad. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know when, how old I was then, like maybe like four or five or something. I think he was the first bass player I jammed with. Wow, look at. But I remember just going. I would just go to every gig of Dad's that you know, and he, you know, I don't think we really had babysitters, so it's like I would eat a. If, Mum would be working at the salon, I think, she's a hairdresser. And yep. so I would go to every rehearsal with Dad and go to most gigs and be on the side with headphones, with earmuffs and just right. be around all the musos. Just taking it in. Just taking it in. Yeah. 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 And then you'd go home and play? Yeah, I think I would just play all the time. Mm. I would come straight from kindy or whatever with the backpack and just jump on the drums and play all, all night, day. That's cool. And I'd pretend I was gigging and like set the drums up and off and put them in my fake cardboard car and go, <laughs> go do gigs and then like get really upset and cry when I could put the cymbal stand back together. So. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, 
Now, did you get lessons early on? I didn't get lessons at all until I think okay. I was probably like 12 or 13. I got mm-hmm. my first drum. Le- I mean, I had drum lessons from just being around all these the great drum, yeah. drummers that my dad played with. Number one being Con, Con Setneri. Yep. So he was probably my biggest influence in person, mm-hmm. like uh, from that age, from like one to ten around that. So I would go to his house and we would jam and he would play congas and I would, he would play drums. He would show me things. He would teach me like, he would teach me like the drum fill from Diamonds and Pearls, Prince. Right. You know, we'd yeah, sit yeah. there and like try and learn it for like a day. Um, you know, so Con was probably my the teacher that I sort of just, uh, I soaked in a lot from him, but not through like sitting down and learning rudiments and yeah. uh, whatever, learning all the, the different feels that are dotted out. That was more just from listening and being around Con. And then I think about 12 or 13, I got drum lessons from Bill Kazellos. Mm-hmm. And he taught me a lot. He taught me uh, some bit of technique stuff and went through all those Weckle things yeah. and all those books, the Gad book. Mm-hmm. I had a lesson with Gordy mm-hmm. at some point, I think. Maybe just even at a barbecue we had a lesson <laughs> at a Gordy barbecue. Cool. Um, and then as I got older and like I went to Newtown High School Performing Arts, so like mm-hmm. There was a great, there's amazing music program there. So okay. I was learning about all kinds of things that weren't just drums. And I got vibraphone lessons. And then I started playing in the big bands and then ha- having to read music. So, yeah, I, I was, I guess you could say I was getting lessons formally and both informally. Yeah. yeah. And um, you've what, you've played bass most, most of your life too, eh? Yeah, when yeah. dad's not Naturally. looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would... Uh, Pretend I was Marcus Miller or Larry Graham on his bases and break a lot of break a lot of strings. <laughs> and I would I, I started playing the bass when I was like twelve or thirteen. I was loving it. Okay. And uh, yeah, I always I've always loved the bass. Who were some of the early, um, not local drummers, but like outside influences drumming wise? Okay, I mean, so you, you spoke about the the Weckle and the Gad books and right, right. But they Weckle was never really like a. Big thing for me, I was, my main influence was Manu Cache. Yep. So, like, from the age of four to, like, ten, like, all I listened to was Manu Cache. Sting stuff and, yeah. All the Sting, but mainly Peter Gabriel, Secret World Live. Yeah. I think I know that probably off by heart. Everything can sing everything. I would just watch it, like, on the VHS tape, like, just over and over and over. Yeah. I'd learn all of Manu's things. Had had a, had a. Splash symbol, like a bunch of splash symbols. China, which is kind of a weird, uh, that's, come to think of it, that's a terrible name for a symbol. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I would just try and play like Manu. And that was like my first drumming influence. And then from then it was Steve Gadd. And it was pretty much Steve Gadd, everything up until maybe I made the move to the States and then I like found out more about drummers that came out of the church in America and like Chris Dave was a big influence oh, to me. And then, uh, yeah, then, then it just, then it just became everyone and just started listening to everyone, you know? Yeah. 
But Gad and Manu was like the ones. Right. Yeah. Um, do you remember your first paid gig? Uh, my first paid gig, I think, yeah, it was, um, that wasn't like a gig with sitting in with dad somewhere. I think it was the Astral Bar on top of Star City Casino when I was 16. Mm-hmm. And it was with Dan, Daniel Mifsud and Ben Rogers. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe it was Stu Hunter on Keys or mm-hmm. something like that. And I remember it vividly because I was 16 and you can't be in the casino when you're 16. And and Dan and... and uh, Ben just lied and was like, yeah, he's 18. And we walked through the casino because you had to go through the casino with the gear on the trolley yeah. and then like catch the elevator all the way up to the Astral Bar was the rooftop bar. Mm-hmm. And we went up there and played a gig. And I think they uh, they might have even got fired from the gig or like got <laughs> reprimanded because they were like, we can't be this can't 16-year-old be kid. <laughs> and I think I did the gig and it was like 250 bucks or something. Right. Which is like, how good is that when you're 16? Yeah, that's right. Do you remember what you did with the money? <laughs> Honestly, I didn't spend money when I was that age. Like, I wish right. I was a bit more like that now. Like, I would just save everything. Like, by the time I was 18, like, I had like, a good, decent, like, little bank kitty set up just from gigging on the weekends at high school and just saving it. Right, that's cool. Because <laughs> I was just at school and living at, at home. So right, was... and that would have set you up well for when you went overseas, I suppose, eh? It did. I mean, well, there was a whole lot of things that happened before I went overseas. Yeah, yeah. But, but um, yeah, it, it was a great start. Yeah, yeah for sure. Cool. Um, all right. So let's sort of roll on a bit from the first gig. Um, mm-hmm. Was that a band put together just, just for that night? Did they asked you to come and play or was that yeah. did that start to become a band that you were regularly playing with? Oh, I, I played with Dan a bit, mm-hmm. I'd say. I probably did like 10 gigs. Yep. A lot of different... I think even like his own original gig in Cronulla, mm-hmm. there was a place called the Brass Monkey. Yeah, still there. Is it still there? Yeah. Awesome. Um, and that was part of a clique of like Joy Yates and Dave McRae, the sort of like Jubilee Choir people, everyone who came out of that, like Mark and Anthony with the Hipstones, Jay McRae, all, the, all those kinds of, yeah, all those singers that were part of that, like always getting sort of gigs in and around that. That was a great time for me because I was actually mm. gigging so much. That's probably where I learned the most, honestly, about being a working drummer, if you want to use that word. Yeah. And a musician and how to deal with being a musician and living on your own and stuff. Mm. Um, okay, so you'd moved out of home. Yeah, time. I moved out of home. I was like 18 to Bondi mm-hmm. and I was living with an amazing, my still one of my best friends now, Marcello Mayo. Mm-hmm. You, I don't know, you might know incredible keys playing accordion player. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I lived with him and I would just gig like seven or eight times a week. Right. And it was awesome. Like, I mean, I don't know, who was I playing? Like Steve Clisby and, you know, the the Sydney vibe where you just get like a wedding gig and a corporate gig and then you might get like a Brazilian gig and a, a salsa gig, Man. covers gig, funk gig, and then like a whatever. I, I was doing Jersey Boys that, that – um, Right. <laughs> The uh, theatre, the like yeah. Capital Theatre. Yeah. I was like the most weird-looking band member of the Four Seasons because <laughs> the drummer was on the stage. Yeah, so yeah, I was yeah. just like, what the hell? This is yeah. not the drummer that plays in the Four Seasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I was learning a lot and, yeah, I, I, I owe a lot so much to Sydney. Yeah. 
yeah, so that all the different styles of gigs that you were doing. So you you were you already sort of up on those styles of music, having learnt them at your school or or yeah, from I think your teachers just being around it and hearing it a lot and jamming with people who right. are like and then going and working much it out. better than me and like just getting thrown in. That's just the best less way to learn. Yeah, I was surrounded by such great musicians that I was just soaking it all in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, playing a lot of different kinds of music. Yep. And listening to a lot of different kinds. But it was still a little narrow, I feel, at that time, like what I was listening to. It wasn't until I moved to America that it really opened up. Opened up. up. Yeah. Okay. So we can we'll move forward a little bit to um, when did this decision come to apply for Berkeley? Okay, so that came… Or have we missed something? No, I mean, unless, yeah. I don't think so. I mean, I was just... We could talk about all the gigs, but, yeah, you yeah. know, whatever. It's all good. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess I was sort of at a place around that time, that age, 18, 19, and I would finish high school. But I was kind of just, I was making a good living just being a muso, and I felt like I had played... Uh, I've been very fortunate to have played with all the people I wanted to in Sydney and I was going through some stuff uh, in my life and I thought that it would be cool. Also, my parents were, uh, it was a collective decision to sort of like, let's give a go, try out and go for Berkeley mm. in, uh, in Boston because a lot of people I admire have been there and it seems like let's just take a plunge and try it. And they mm. have like, they had, international auditions so they had auditions here in Sydney right so I went down to what was it then JMC maybe yep academy in Surrey Hills Mm -hmm. and auditioned and I was lucky I got a half scholarship so I could just afford to like make the move and I did thanks to the backing of my parents they helped me out a lot and thankfully the dollar was one to one back then yeah yeah yeah, it was actually stronger. Australian dollar was a little stronger, At one point, yeah. which is crazy because like Look at could it now. not have gone to college now. Right, like forget it. Um, and also, just living in the states, um, what you forget about is when you go to college. Not only is college very expensive, but just living in. If you choose to take the college, like the traditional American college route, and you do the room and board, and you live in the campus and all that, it's like. You're paying like seven, sixteen thousand dollars a semester just to live Jeez. in in and yeah, and flat in 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 a one bedroom style sort of dorm with two other people, and eat the American canteen food. Right. <laughs> so you didn't do that. I did not do that. I just yeah. rented an apartment and just lived very frugally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's go back to the audition. Mm-hmm. Um. What did the audition entail? Did you know what you had to do before you got there? Did they send you a bit of a brief of what they might? No, I think the only. You just rocked up and they just said, hey, let's try this. I think the audition process for Berkeley is you just come in and you play something that you're comfortable with. Like you do something that showcases who you are. Right. And what did you do? Um, I mean, no one really. I didn't know who I was at that point. Still don't know that. But um, (laughs) uh, I played with Con. Oh, okay. Yeah, we played, uh, I think we played like a samba thing that we had played a lot together, like a little original thing. Yeah, like great. That was 
I think Khan and Sunil's thing. Yeah, right. Uh, Sunil de Silva. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we played this samba vibe and that's when I was way into that stuff. So we was going for it. And then I believe they gave me, they give you things to read. They ask you questions and little little tests. And then you like speak to a international coordinator who represents international studies for Berkeley. And that was about it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember your mindset going into it? You scared? Um, Excited? Honestly, I don't think I was that scared because it wasn't a be and end all thing for me. Okay. It was just something like, let's give this a go. Yeah, right. I think I was more scared on like HSC. Yeah, right. You know, which is so strangely, uh, uh, it's so, it's, there's so much pressure in the HSC. It's yeah. like, it's just like, Everything is like your whole life is leaning on your, your score and HSC, or I don't know what it's called now, the ATAR or something. So I think that was more nerve wracking for me. Mm. Yeah. Plus, it's just weird to like play music for like a panel. Yeah. People judging, critiquing. Yeah. When. Very sterile, eh? Yeah, it's just yeah. like, I don't understand. I've kind of got this picture in my head of the room. Oh yeah, it's like but I don't know. This, I've never been there. <laughs> you like walk into this. Okay, you picture like a like a high ceiling, like school assembly yeah. hall, like with horrible acoustics for any kind of music you're trying to. Well, maybe not anything. Like if I'm sure if I was playing like a solo violin piece, it would be beautiful. Yeah. But when you're trying to play like Chikoria acoustic nice, trio, nice or something. And tight. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you go in, and you, it's like a long walk to the, like it feels like a long walk to where the where the gear is set up and yeah. then, then there's like three people in like jackets who are like, oh, they, they're from the con. <laughs> and then they give you a mark based on your, uh, but you know, that's, that's how, it, that's just how that machine works. Yeah, that's cool. But and I guess if you just be yourself and try and not worry about that shit, you know. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. How long did you have to wait till you, till you knew if you got in? Honestly, I think I got an email like a few months later or something like that. A few months, right. Yeah. 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 Just on my phone, it's like, oh, you, you've been offered this, whatever, to go to the states. Right. And then, uh, thankfully, my well, my that was at point in my life where my parents had actually split, and they had to sell the family house, so they had some bread available, and they were willing to sponsor me if so. Yeah, cool. <laughs> um, so I'm grateful for that. That's awesome. And that was nine. That was two thousand and eleven. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Crazy. Mm. All right, so you packed up, you said goodbye, get on the plane, uh-huh. land in, L- in Boston. Sorry, in Boston. I was going to say LA, but we'll get to that. Um, land in Boston in snow. Yep. Right, okay. Um, did you kind of, were you starting school pretty much straight away? Or did you go and Yeah, I think I had like two, two weeks of like okay. receptions and okay. get like, you know, all the pre-college things you have to do to set up and get all your textbooks and go to like where you, you get assigned somebody who looks after a group of 50 people and they become your community group or something. And right. then you find the Australians in, in Boston. I was going to ask you, were there any other Australians? Yeah, there? I think there was yeah. about, probably about 20 there. Okay, say. cool. Yeah. And yeah, you just go about, I mean, it was really hard to be honest, just to like come from here being like somebody was working, doing, doing my thing, playing, whatever to go there and just like have to like forget about all that and, all, just, and just be like I'm a college shock, student. Yeah. Culture, shock, yeah. culture shock, 
snowing America. It's just different. Yeah. Yep. Different way of life. Different social, culturally, like, and the the food. It's like really hard. It's different over there, and mm. and also just getting thrust into basically going to a jazz school. So I just went straight into that, uh, into the jazz hole. Right. Were you ready for jazz? Um, had you kind of? I had been playing it, but yeah, a lot okay. of it had come through not me not really knuckling down and like learning the history, as they say. But okay. I was playing big band jazz. Yep. So I came into Berkeley with a real kind of like bulging, um, like heavy swing beat, yep. which was like I thought was the vibe, like Buddy Rich's like vibe because I've been playing in, in, in a big band and having to drive that. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, no, 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 you know. <laughs> <laughs> no touch, no, you know, like no real um, sense of like, playing in a smaller group and playing with a little bit more dynamic. So I, I learned a lot <laughs> yeah. and I got hit like a ton of bricks. Like not physically, but uh, yes, spiritually, emotionally, all those things. Yeah. Mm. So what that, was that the biggest challenge? <laughs> yeah, I think it was. And also just trying to assimilate into uh, the lifestyle and the, and the college life and the, and the, the amount of music and the amount of uh, feelings I had for uh, realizing that oh I don't actually really know much, mm. which is silly because you do you come in and you come in with what you know and everyone comes from all around the world with what they know and how they feel and how they hear music, so it's hard to like everyone get everyone to adhere to one program mm. it's hard to like institutionalize something like jazz which is like so free and it's an art form that chooses not to um sort of obey any rules mm. so it was all these things going on and also just being tw- 20 in the states yeah yeah right um but and also not gigging it was just like oh i'm literally here yeah i was gonna ask what Playing, like, practicing in a room. There's 800 drummers at Berkeley. There's 1,000 guitarists, 1,200 singers. You know, you just... Where are you going to find a gig? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and everyone's playing their asses off. And, like, it's like going to a gym for music. It's like everyone is just flexing their uh-huh. chops. And gotcha. People aren't afraid to tell you, just to tell you and show you and make you realize how good they are. Yeah, sure. So it was a tough period but amongst all that it was I, I I found people that I gravitated to and professors and teachers mm-hmm. and I just sort of forged my own little way through it because you can really get go there and just get destroyed and just blown over totally if you don't sort of have a mindset of like okay I'm here it's costing money like maybe I should really just knuckle down and find the teachers I want to learn from and really seek those people out and try and uh, learn as much from them as possible while I'm here, you know? Yeah. And if you sort of just kind of chill back, you just get rolled over. Right. Did you see some people sort of go down that go down that route of yeah, getting I, spat I friends, out the other end? Yeah, I had friends. I had one friend who, like, had full mental breakdown, depression, like, couldn't oh, deal shit. with it, you know? Right. You know, you go and practice in a drum, in a drum, practice, they have this, like, ba- they call it the basement, 
there's like 40 drum practice rooms and there's a line and like to line to practice you only get like two hours in the room and people would just like stand there and watch you practice like six people just like looking at you practice right waiting for their turn yeah judging you and fuck that yeah it's literally like a war zone because you hear like he's like there's like this ambience of just like yeah it sounds like rifles yeah um, so it's hard to get over that because mm. that's not how music's supposed to feel. It's not meant to feel like a, it's like sometimes I wish it was a sport because then you just win or lose. But it's not like that. It's subjective. It's beautiful. It's Were you aware sport. of that at the time? Aware of what, what your thought of, thoughts are on now? Like you were just kind of like, come on, this is just music. What, why is it so? No, I feel like I was definitely in the bubble there. Uh, okay. and it took me a while to so realize to, to that. Start, and, to it out, yeah. Yeah, but I was I was skeptic of it because yeah. Mm coming from such great community here. Right. Yeah, right. right. When did you start gigging? How did that come about? Um, I started getting a couple of gigs here and there when I was in Boston, but it was never enough to sort of like completely take care of myself at all. But I would get little jazz brunch gigs or like a, a covers gig here and there, and I would like schlep my tiny $200 Sono drum set that I bought in my suitcase and like walk it to gigs <laughs> yeah, and play for 50 bucks and, and, and some eggs benedict and uh, the odd wedding there if it was lucky because a wedding would pay like 400, 400 bucks or something like that which I could Jeez, make scales. I could last which could last me like on the college budget could last me like a, a long time <laughs> yeah right yeah. okay mm. um, <clears throat> who was some of your te- like oh sorry you had Terry Lynn Carrington was one of your yeah Terry just, yeah. Terry was a it's a big reason for a lot of things. But yeah, Terry, I, I tried to get, I learn from everyone because there were such great teachers there. Kenwood Denard was a big um, influence on me. Uh, John Hazilla, he's an incredible, he's like, just teaches brushes. Right. He's like one of the best brushes teachers, along with Jeff Hamilton. Mm. Um, so I learned a lot about the brushes from him. Just, just on brushes, is Clayton Cameron still around? Is he yeah, doing? he's. I don't, I, does he teach? I don't know. I don't if he, know if he teaches, but I just. Yeah, because I know Irma um, Hakim is now the is the head of drums at Berkeley. Right, which is awesome. That's awesome, right? And I think maybe Clayton Cameron is there. If that, if right. he is, that's cool because he's like the the, the brushes. Yeah, whiz, right? Yeah, he's the guy I used to watch and right. Yeah, read a couple of his books. Oh, cool. Yeah. I had also great like my most important teachers weren't drum teachers, you know. Like, mm-hmm. I had a teacher called Alain Malay who was played in Paul Simon's band for a long time and he I learned a lot about being in the studio and things like that from him mm-hmm. and playing songs and playing with a singer and not not just worried worrying about like drums. <laughs> right. Yeah. At Berkeley, do they have like a um I know the, the music part of it obviously, like the learning the jazz and that kind of thing. Was there a, like a production element? Yeah, there was. And I okay. kind of, if I went back, I would have done that. Okay. Uh, they have a great music production engineering course. Oh, sorry. That's not, that wasn't part of what you were doing. That no, like there's so and... many majors there okay, and I chose right. to do performance. Okay, gotcha. Which I kind of wish if I went back, I would have done music production engineering because they have yep. such great, you know, they have like a replica of Abbey Road. They have a replica right. of Avatar right. in New York and they have so much gear and great, teachers and how to, you know, just on 
Because those are the things that I'm way into now. And yeah. Like, oh, I wish I would have got the, the proper education in it. And I'm not just like watching YouTube tutorials. But um, music production engineering, they have a great electronic music course. Yeah, they have a song, like a songwriting. They have um, a course just for lyric writing. They have electronic production, um, analog synthesis, like modular synth course. They, they have such, oh, so, so many cool wow, things. Wow, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So if yeah, if I did go back, I would, I would do that. Yeah. Because yeah. you can play anywhere and just learn anywhere, you know. Yeah. Your instrument. Yeah. You can spend hundred bucks on a little tiny drum lockout and like just practice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you had Michelle and Dago Cello. Yes. Um, um, come through and and do like a master class. Yeah, that's that's correct. Right, and you got to play in that ensemble. I did, yeah. Right, so how did that come about? Um, so I was learning from Terry Lynn Carrington. She mm -hmm. was my teacher at that point yep. for that semester. Maybe it was like my fifth or sixth semester. Mm -hmm. And I got an email from her. I remember it vividly. I was in a Starbucks in New York Union Square mm -hmm. with my friend Cisco. <laughs> and I got an email from her being like, hey, I'm putting together an ensemble of students for the Berkeley Beantown Jazz Festival and it's for Michelle and Dago Cello. She's coming to do a three-day masterclass with an ensemble of Berkeley students. You will learn her material and then you will play a set with her. Mm. I was like, oh, that's amazing. And I was like, I was stoked. And, you know, she's one of my heroes. I was going to say that. Else. You would have had a fair bit of her music around. Yeah, I did. Dad had Peace Beyond Passion. Yep. Um, the CD and I would I wore the shit out of that. Um, so I was like, hell yeah. So I was stoked and I obviously said yes. And then uh, I think Michelle sent like a list of tunes to check out and then I already knew a lot of her music so I, I just checked out everything. <laughs> uh, and at that, that point it was her new Nina Simone recording okay. was out, which is an amazing album. It's a dedication to Nina. Um so I learned all the music and then I sort of got together. There was nine of us, nine other students and uh, a good friend of mine. Here comes the A380. <laughs> oh, no, it's I'll be on that in a week. Um, uh, a good, amazing drummer named Zach Mullings was also on that. So we shared the drum chair. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I learned all the material. Then we, we got together as a as a band before it. Michelle came just to like try and go over some stuff. And then uh, she came uh, to school, and we did three days of rehearsing, and then we played a gig. And yeah, we just had this connection straight away when we first met. And I, right. and I didn't really know how to comprehend it honestly at first. I was like, oh, is this real? Mm. And uh, she was very uh, she with, had, with with just just you or yeah, yeah. I mean like. The, and I feel weird to say it, but it was like we just had this connection and she saw straight through me. It felt like right. she was like, are you Polynesian? Like, yeah, Is your dad play the bass? I was <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and she was like, tell me about you. And I was like, oh, okay. And uh, she was like, let's get coffee across the street in between like the first break of rehearsal. And um, yeah, it was just nuts. And, you know, I told the guys... And girls that were part of the ensemble, I was like, 
if we can make her play the bass in the first half an hour of us rehearsing, we've probably done a good, that'll probably be good. And then like after the first song, she's like, oh, can I play bass? <laughs> I'm rehearsing and I was like, okay, I think maybe we're doing, yeah, so. Yeah, like after the second day, comes another jet. Kind of felt like this, felt like that. But um, <laughs> after the second day, she asked me. She said, "My drummer lives in Berlin right now. He's moved to Germany, and I need a drummer. Are you down?" I was like, "Oh, sure. I mean, what? I don't know, but really, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess. But that's not real, like." This feels strange. I mean, it doesn't feel, yeah, it felt really, felt wrong. And it shouldn't have, but it was just like, I was like, okay. And then we just went back to rehearsal and did that for a few days. And we played the set of music um, at the jazz festival. And after it, I think I was so nervous, but after the gig, I asked for her mobile phone number and she gave it to me. And then we exchanged texts and she texted me back. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. And I remember being with my roommates, Martin and Freya, really good friends who are also from Australia. And uh, yeah, she responded to me. She's like, what's your email? And I sent her my email. And then her, lo and behold, her, um, uh, I got an email from her, from her manager asking if I wanted to do a short tour. And I was like, yeah, of course. And then I remember that was like the first time I've ever been asked, like, okay, great. Like, what are your drum specs? What do you think? And I was like, what's that mean? <laughs> uh, um, and uh, yeah, I did like a three, I was still in college and I, I remember mm. I came back over Christmas and then it was a tour in January. So I went back and then I did like three, it was like a four gig tour, but I just did three of the four gigs. And it, and they were really, went really well. And I met Chris and Jevin, Chris Bruce and Jevin Bruni, who've become like big mentors of mine. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the first tour was only four gigs, but I only did three of them. And the rest of the band, I remember, were in the car on the, like the last gig. And I think I was not coming on the next day because I was on the airport. And they were like, well, why, why didn't you get Abe for the last gig? And she was like, well, we just had to make sure Abe didn't suck first. <laughs> <laughs> did they call you in for the fourth gig? Um, yeah, and then from then on, I was cool. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Bit of a contingency. I think the fourth gig was New York, so she didn't want to play New York with me in case I sucked. Okay. <laughs> so, so who did she get to play for that? Her original, uh, her... I think that was Otto Hauser, who's okay. an amazing drummer. Right. Yeah. In the planes. <laughs> you want me to shut the window? It's right? fine. Yeah. Post-production's magic. Yeah, it's classic Sydney under the flight path, mate. <laughs> um, <laughs> just speaking of that, I um, interviewed David Jones. Mm. The main, master. Yeah, the main street of Marrickville. Oh, yeah. coffee, outside coffee shop, oh. cars, motorbikes, planes. Oh man, that that interview in post production. That's probably the most um, time spent. Most no, I actually got to got to know how the noise gate works properly. Oh, cool, <laughs> yeah. which was great. And it ended up coming out really, really good. You can still hear the planes and stuff, but I can just sort of... What noise gate you use? Like logic, just the logic one or you just... The logic yeah, one, yeah. Oh, I've, no, I've got the um, the Waves Ships. Okay, cool. Ships plug-in yeah, ships. with all the different modules in it. Yeah, yeah he's good. He's good, all right. Um, okay, so when you... 
I guess you've already answered that, how you kind of felt when you, right, okay, well, the end of that tour, right. Mm. Did you have any idea that there was going to be more gigs with Michelle after that? Or did you think it was just that short stint and then... Well, yeah, I thought it might just be that short stint, but then she sent me the new album, which wasn't released, and she was like, learn it. Oh, And I was like, right. oh, fuck, okay. And I learned it, and I remember like being, there was a couple, there's a couple tunes on it. There's a song called Friends, which is the first song on Comet Come To Me, and mm-hmm. it was like, I didn't know where the hell one was. I didn't know. I still couldn't tell you where the one was. I remember freaking out over trying to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> but... um. Yeah, I, I think I came back to school and then I got like another, I got asked like two weeks later to do a re- like a live recording in New York. Um, so I was, which I was like, okay, cool. So I remember I took the the train down from Boston. Usually I catch the, the $15 chi- Chinese Chinatown bus, but I was like so stoked because they got me a train ticket, you know. Right. So I took the train down to do this gig, uh, this Recording, yeah. Right. How far from Boston to New York on a train? Uh, on the... On a train... Oh, well, on the bus, it's probably like four to five hours, depending on the traffic. Right. Um, by train, it's probably three and a half. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Cool. The train's nice. It's yeah. chill. Yeah, right. Yeah. Cool, man. So, all right. So that recording, uh, yeah, that little recording. Mm-hmm. Remember, I, I literally went down for it in the morning and I was recording. I took the train back to, like, make it to conducting class or something. Right. Yeah. So how far into Berkeley was this? How far this did you This was, like, go? three quarters of the way through, I'd say. So I think I was on, like, my sixth semester and there's eight semesters. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, was there pressure to finish off your Berkeley and then get out on tour or? Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't necessarily just have like some tours coming up. It was just like, you know, like sporadic things here and there. And I know being an Australian in, uh, in America that if you graduate in the States in college, you get one year, it's called OPT, um, uh, and it gives you one year to practice whatever you've graduated in for free. In, oh, in, right. In, in the so country. You don't need the visa. Don't need the visa. Oh, great. And you can be paid. Right. So I was like, I'm going to graduate so I can get that one year free. Right. And uh, be able to take all the work if any work comes. Right. And I was just very lucky that when I graduated, I was working with Michelle. Um, and then that's why, and then I decided to move to LA. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how did that decision come about to move to LA? Is that where is that where she's based? Well, um, Michelle is based in between Brooklyn and Hudson, so New York, yeah, upstate, yeah. and the city. So I moved to LA because Chris, who plays, who, who's in the band, and Jevin, who's in her band, mm-hmm. there's the four of us. They live in LA, and they sort of work with other artists too. Like they don't just play with Michelle. Like everyone's kind of open and does things as much as they can. Right. Um, they were like, come out to LA and meet friends of ours and be around town because we would yeah, love right. you, you to be here. Oh, awesome. And also it was closer to Sydney. Right. Uh, I mean, it's not close, but it's it's close it's to close, New yeah. York. So it's at least one hop on a flight and it's got the beach. And I mm. think if 
if I was going to be anywhere sort of just struggling and like have only having a few gigs here and there, like LA is where I want to be because at least it's hot. I can eat cheap tacos and drink cheap yeah, beer right. and just kind of do yeah. a bit more bang for your buck than just being like freezing cold in New York kind of struggling. Right. I'd rather like struggle in the heat. Mm. So that's why I made that decision. And I had gone out to LA already because I had played out there with Michelle like three or four months before I moved out there, September 1st, 2014. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is when my lease was up in Boston. Right. Yeah. Right. Cool. What was the first gig you did in LA session? Uh, first session I did? Mm. I mean, I can't remember the first session. Maybe the first big real session I did was this with this guy, Doyle Bramhall. Mm -hmm. I played on his album. Oh, right. Okay. Which album? Uh... Oh, Rich Man, I think. Yeah. Mm. Whatever the second, whatever is not the most recent one, the one before that. Okay. That was like maybe my first, you know, session of note, you know, great, amazing studio space. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when I moved to LA, I was sort of like living on couches and I found my own place eventually. Uh, but I'm trying to think when I first moved to LA. Wait for this plane again. Some good thinking music. Right. What's that? Good thinking music. Yeah, it's good thinking music. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. All the planes are coming in now. Uh, I guess, well, I guess Seal was a big session. I played on oh, his, right. his album when I moved to LA and that was through Chris and Michelle's band who's been like a long time collaborator with Seal, like played on the first two Seal records. Um, I played on all the records. So he brought me in with Seal. And then I, for the first year and a half that I lived in LA, I did Seal and Michelle. I played in both of their bands until it got to a point where it was just like too, too much conflict and too busy. And I had to make a decision on who I really wanted to be with. And right. I'm very glad that I chose to stay with Michelle. Yep. Oops. Yeah, but yeah. So the recording session, uh, with Seal, was he there? He was. Okay. And so was Trevor Horn, his producer, mm -hmm. who I'm a big fan of. And I think it was it was like, <laughs> oh no, it was one. Yeah, it was one song that made that album. And I remember doing a take. We did a couple of takes, and Trevor was like, "Oh, I'm going to go upstairs and comp a Seal vocal for another song. Like, you just record it." And he was like, "Tell me, Chris, if you think you you guys get it." And I think we did a couple of passes and then the second one, Chris was like, I think that's good. Mm. And Trevor came down. I never worked with him, never met him. And he was like, all right, cool, let's listen to it. But just mute everything. I just, just listened to it, solo drums. I was like, what? Ouch. <laughs> yeah, so he listened. <laughs> he just listened to the whole song with no <clears throat> vocal, nothing, just the drums. And I was like, wow. You know, and I was trying to soak it all in because it's like, this is the golden hit right. guy. So... We just sat there in the console with everyone and just sort of <laughs> listened to the drums, which was like really, I mean, I'm not a big fan of listening back to myself anyway. So right. that was just like excruciating for me. Right. There. <laughs> but then after it, he was like, oh, it's, it's, it's cool. I would just take out, let's just take out the first fill. And then that was it. Yeah. <laughs> so that made it, which was cool. Great. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess that was a big first, like, that was a, like a Union LA kind of session. That was at the Village, which is a 
great studio where Fleetwood Mac made Tusk and right. Steely Dan made Asia. And, you know, yeah, all those right. crazy. But I don't, personally, it's a kind of a weird studio to me because they don't have any gear. You have to bring your own gear. Oh, I like right. studios that have like your own gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like gear in terms of like amps and drums and keyboards and stuff like that. They don't have anything like you have to. They have the console and output. Yeah, they have yeah, all of that stuff. Right. Obviously, like all beautiful mics and stuff. Yeah, right. Because like, I've heard of that studios with just the space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Like, you know, people but they're used to the like having and... big people come in with all their own cars oh, and all yeah, that. Yeah, right. Okay. I don't have anything like that. But... Mm. Yeah, that would have been a real eye-opener, eye eh? Seeing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess that was, yeah, so I've, I've been in LA now for since 2014, yeah, like six years, five, five right. and a half, six, right. which has just flown by. Yeah. It's crazy. Right. Um, have you been to LA before? I haven't. I've been to not America. Okay. You haven't <laughs> been. Okay. Good no. for you. <laughs> um, just going back to, to Berkeley, um, when you graduated, you graduated um, and received the Alan Dawson Achievement Award. Right, so tell us a little bit about that and what, what that sort of... Well, Alan Dawson is um, a legend in Boston, definitely, because he, he taught at Berkeley. I think he came up with a lot of the curriculum and he had like a very special thing called the Rudimental Ritual. Um, he has a book um, which they based a lot of their curriculum on and he's very well noted as being like the teacher of Tony Williams. Oh, right. And like Terry Lynn Carrington, he right. taught all these amazing drummers. And he was an incredible drummer himself, played with, um, uh, played in Sonny Rollins' trio. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was like the master of technique, but like he was incredibly musical too. So, um, yeah, I was very lucky. They have a little scholarship that's named after him at Berkeley. And I got that in like my sixth semester. And it was great because I was kind of like struggling financially in that picked up the rest of the scholarship that I... Oh, great. Yeah, so that was, like, huge. Because, like, when you're at Berkeley, you can actually get other things that help, like, financially, like, aid or, like... If you, that. like, get good grades and if, you, if you're decent enough, like, that someone, one of the teachers there might nominate you for something like that. So right. I was very lucky. So with that award, did you have any idea it was coming? No. Just right. like an email. Yeah. Yeah, right. I remember just being like, woo yeah. <laughs> it's like going out me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I saw a video yesterday when I was trolling you. Mm -mm. Yeah. Um, trolling. You are playing with Mike Elizondo, Jeff oh. Babco, doing the, um, the Dilla, little Dilla workshop thing. Oh, really? Does that exist online? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, tell wow. us about that. <laughs> That's quite funny because I have quite an apprehension when it comes to Jay Diller because when I went to Berkeley, everyone was trying to play Jay Diller beats. Right. You know, like Chris Dave is like the master yeah. of that yeah. and like has changed a whole generation of how drummers sound. So like now everybody sounds like right. Like the the quarter note, eighth note has shifted. Now it's like this yeah. broken shuffle <laughs> thing. No one yeah. can play straight. Yeah. Um, which is fine, like it's great, and Jay Dill is so amazing. But he did it with his fingers, you know, and it's like on an NPC. And I think it's just it's become a little too overly saturated for me. So when I was at Berkeley, I really made a decision not to go down that path. 
and sort okay. of eliminate that out of my vocabulary. Right. And then um, recently I got asked to do, there's this show called Live From Here, which is a live radio show on NPR in um, America. And it's, I think it's the longest lasting variety show where they have comics and mm. writers and uh, it's live radio to air and there's a band and like they play all sorts of sketches and they pay tributes to and the host great plays musicians. yeah it's this yeah. guy Chris Dealey who's yeah. incredible mm. so I've been very lucky to be asked to be in the house band for like four or five of these shows oh cool um, I'm actually doing one in New York on February when I get back um, and uh, I'll wait for this plane I guess <laughs> um, <laughs> it's pretty hard to noise gate a plane I guess uh, I guess it's, I, I think... I have to watch some Andrew Shep's tutorials on noise getting planes. <laughs> well, maybe I'll do a tutorial. How yeah, to, yeah, how you to, can send it to how, me. Yeah, in a podcast. How do you do it in the podcast? <laughs> but um, that particular one was in Detroit and it was a tribute to Smokey Robinson. Obviously, Detroit, the Motor City home of Motown. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was a, there was a segment that was a tribute to Smokey Robinson Motown and Mike Elizondo was playing bass. He's an incredible producer. He's yeah. done a lot of amazing hip hop records. Obviously, yeah. that would have been a trip in itself. That's a trip. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Mike Elizondo's he's Dre's man. Yeah, know? he's like, legend. Like, yeah, he's legend. Yeah, yeah, like all those bass lines and yeah. hooks, some Eminem yeah. records, and yeah, the Dre Chronic, all that. So. He called me and he was like, oh, look, I think I want to do a Jay Diller thing. And I was like, oh, here we go. I just got copped it because I've like spent so long trying not to do it. <laughs> were, you telling, like, were you telling everybody you, you weren't doing Diller? Uh, take it out of your Yeah, and, and it's funny because I told Michelle and she was like, Mike wants to do a Jay Diller segment on Life From Here. And she just laughed at me because she's like, just knows that's not. Right. She calls Abe Skippy. Like Abe doesn't play the Skippy, <laughs> Skippy beats. So, um, so I was like, okay, fuck it. Like I'm just going to have to do it. So I spent like two days in my room just playing Jay Dilla beats, like trying right. to get that neck crack happening. Yep. And then I went to Detroit and like that gig's really intense. Like you get the music one night before it. Right. Um, all of it. That, luckily he gave me a tip on the Jay Dilla, so he sent me a playlist and that stuff. Right. But you get all the music the day before it. You arrive in the city and then you have uh, a night, uh, an eight-hour rehearsal on the Friday and then you have... Saturday, a four-hour rehearsal in the morning at like 8 a.m. And then like it's live. You play the show live. Right. And there's like, it could be, it's like basically 40 minutes of music. You know, there's just like 20, 20 songs and like little 30-second yeah. jams and this and that and, and things you have to write down. You have to read the script because then they want a chime symbol when the comedian says the little sketch about Trump or whatever. You know, to make, you know, and it's, you're just going to be on the on the ball, and it's live, so you can't fuck up. Um, so it's, it's highly stressful, anyway. But mm. yeah, we did that Jay Diller thing, and it was great with Mike because he understands that music so well. Well, so, he explained it well too. He explained. Yeah, that right. Way. He talked yeah, about how yeah. the how the beat was made and yeah. how he how he did it. And, I, and, and, then and, he goes, and now Abe's going to show you how to. <laughs> yeah, Abe's going to show you from Australia to Bush, nowhere near Detroit. He's going to show you how to play Jay Dillabee. The guy that doesn't like to play yeah, Jay Dillabee. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I kind of cheated a little bit and I spent a lot of time playing just, I, I mean, that's the best way to learn that stuff is to literally put it on blasting your headphones, just play along to it. Yeah. And I did that. I, I just did that for ages. And then I got kind of a 
sense of it and then we did it. I think it's not too bad. Mm. Yeah. Did you play that stuff to a click? No. No. No clicks. Yeah. yeah. Well done. Sounded fucking awesome. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Um, do you th- when, when Dilla was putting that stuff down, do you think he was playing to a click? No. Completely no, no, not. No, no. He would just make the beat. Do you think it was an int- intentional from Dilla? Yeah, I think that's just yeah. how he felt the beat. Yeah. That's how he heard it. Yeah, that's cool. why he's a genius. Yeah, I cool. heard that he did the snares first. Right, That's okay. what Mike said. I think he explains it in that from what I remember. But um, also Jeff Babko, shout out to him. He's hilarious. Oh, man. Yeah, legend, eh? Um, I, he, I just played, I played on his last solo rec- record and right. it was fun. Like, I don't usually play sort of instrumental showcase of drum vibes much more but anymore, but it was it was fun and uh, had a good time and he's hilarious. So he's good on that show like because he's like this hilarious, hilarious person. Yeah. So he can play all those funny bits. Yeah, there was a, was it a sample of, um, was it Rocky? Yeah, so a yeah. Rocky sample in there. One of the Jay Dillers. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was cool, man. Um, you also did a session not long ago with um, Blake Mills and Pino. I did. Yeah. You know. um, uh, yeah, that was nuts. Mm. That was definitely a huge highlight of mine, just to be in a room with those three and play. Yep. Uh, Blake's. Um, Incredible, the incredibly gifted musician and producer, and uh, he's a real. Uh, uh, he respects uh, the sonics of music and making a record right. so meticulously. And uh, Pino is just like incredible; it's just the best. And he feels the the bass and hears the bass in the way that's just very singular, and that's why he's on so many recordings. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to play with them was amazing and just to try and soak in a bit of that vibe mm. and to hear Pino track the bass in person and feel it. and um, Watch it. Yeah, watch it and hear it and just... Watch that head. Watch that head and he played, <laughs> a, lot of, played a lot of fretless. Oh, wicked. And that was sick to just yeah. sit there and just have goosebumps while he was like yeah. figuring out a song and like, well, maybe I'll play this, you know. Like, and it was to tape, you know, so there was no like... It, it, when you work with tape, it takes a little longer, you know? So. Yeah. Some of my favourite Pino stuff, have you heard of um, PSP? Yeah, with that was with... Simon Phillips and... And, and Manu. Nah, it was... Um, oh, Simon... Sace? Uh, uh, right. Oh, wait. Uh. What's his name? And Dominic Miller, right? No, it was a, it was a trio. Uh. Uh, Filippo Sace, I think his name is. Okay. Simon Phillips and Pino. Oh, cool. It's this trio. I'll, I'll find the stuff. I'll send it to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. It's really cool. Just, um, he, yeah, he, he plays little Fender Jag, Jaguar bass. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, plays a bit of fretless in it, but, you know, with Simon Phillips next to him and yeah. it's cool. Sick. Yeah. And Sace is playing this Moog synth that sounds so great. It's yeah. one of those, one of those, it's a short EP. It's one of those EPs that I just had on repeat for days. Right, right. Yeah, it's one of those things yeah. for me, yeah. Um, You're going to frequent Pino's because he's just made an album with Blake. Blake produced it and I heard it and it's it's going to blow everyone. It's a solo thing? It's Pino's oh, first okay. solo album. It's it's going to destroy. These things take time, eh? They take time, yeah. <laughs> I think it was done like six months ago. Yeah, right. And um, 
Yeah, I was actually like really bummed because I was on tour and Blake asked me to play on uh, that. So I was gone. But that's fine. That's just what happens. That's but what happens, um, yeah. I heard it and it's fucking incredible. And I every muso in the world is going to lose their mind when they hear it. Right. Because it's, it's, it's just, no, I'll just wait. You just, I'll just wait. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Won't give music. anything away. Very musical. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, let's talk about Jake and Abe. Yeah, cool. Cool. So um, that's a little band, little, I'm not going to say duo, but it's a band. You guys are a band. Yeah. Um, how did that come about? And, and how did you meet Jake? Cool. Yep. Um, so Jake is uh, an incredible songwriter himself, and he's an incredible musician. He, the main thing is he plays the organ, and he plays the key, all kinds of keys. And uh, he, I, I met him through Michelle. Uh, Michelle got Jake to play organ on this art piece we did called The Gospel of James Baldwin, The Fire Next Time. Uh, and we performed this as a piece at the Harlem stage in New York. Uh, and basically Michelle has written all this amazing music to the words of the great poet James Baldwin. And we needed an organ. And, and Michelle was like, I got this great young organ player who went to Berkeley. And I was like, awesome. I love Jake. I was a fan of his. Right. Um, and I was a fan of his songs uh, already. And we, we were at Berkeley together, but it's funny, we didn't know each other at all. Oh, right. It's not until after that I discovered his music. Right. And that's how big Berkeley is. So we met uh, on this gig and like immediately we just like hit it off. And, you know, he's kind of similar age to me. And I've always played with musicians who are older than me in professional situations, really, all my life. So it was nice to connect with somebody kind of like around my yeah, right. um, sort of uh, age. And I was love one of his songs and he taught me how to play. He's very giving with his, with his, with his gifts. He's not one that's like, oh, you know, he's like, oh, you want to learn that? It's this, it's this. That's cool. So eh? he taught me one of my favorite songs of his. And then we were like, oh, let's try and write a song. We wrote a song. And we were like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then he came to LA for some stuff. And then he, I was like, come over and we wrote another song. And I'm like, oh, why don't we just make a band? And we just started <laughs> making songs. Right. And at first it was kind of just like, this, it was like, to me, it was kind of like this piss take, like just funny thing that we could just, I could just get some ideas of like real life experiences into songs, but then it kind of became more serious. Yeah. And it's just turned into a really fun thing. And it's, it's been really enjoyable for me to have a little creative outlet outside of just making music for other people and trying to make other, doing my best for other people's art. It's been nice to make a little something on my own. And um, I mean, I make a lot of music by myself that no one hears, but right. I don't get it finished. So that's the goal of mine this year is to finish a lot of my own stuff. Oh, but cool. Having a collaborator and someone like Jake who works really hard, it's it's really kicked me in the butt, and it's it's great to have things that I'm finishing. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a good time for chip, mate. Yeah. I think I just have a, have a thought of that. <laughs> yeah, but Jake's just such a nice person. Mm. Um, so you guys have got four songs out. Mm-hmm. Mm. That song, it's easy. Yeah, I love it, man. Oh, thank you. Real hooky, catchy. The video is great. Thank you. And I was, now I'm not going to give it away, but when I was watching that video, I'm going, where would you come up with this idea of a 
the cafe and oh, all yeah. the shit going on, but the, you need to watch it to the end. And then you, That's my good, really <laughs> good friend Zoe Travis. She lives in LA and she's an amazingly gifted actress and like kind of a comedian too. She's a hilarious person and she is a great writer and, and she came up with that concept for that <laughs> video after hearing the song once and was like, I've got an idea for a video. My friend has a camera and we can just get some people together and do it. Great. And we did it and like shout shout outs to to Zoe and Daniel for doing that. Yeah, it's cool. It's funny. Oh, cool. It's got Thanks. a cool vibe, yeah. Um, what's your approach to studio playing now that you're doing sort of more studio stuff? Well, um, yeah. It's how, is, how has it changed, say, in the last couple of years? That's a good question. Well, um, I think I've learned more and more about making records and playing the drums in the studio and not only just the drums, but making music in the studio the last couple of years for sure. Um, playing live and being in the studio is totally different. Mm. Totally different approaches. Um, I've always felt like I've been stronger playing live. Something about playing in front of an audience puts me into a state. Like, I don't know, just that added adrenaline gets me into a, a, a different place. Mm -hmm. I've, I've actually tried to be, I've tried, trying harder the last couple of years to harness that in the studio. Right. Because I feel like I would get to a place where it's like, oh, well, I need to come up with this part. It needs to be like this and this and that. And now I'm sort of taking more approach to of just like trying to be as free as possible yeah, in the studio. A bit more chill. And yeah. try and like, uh, because out of that comes a little bit more spontaneity and you might play things that aren't so calculated. Yeah. And you don't want to be too calculated in the studio. That's what I'm realizing. Mm -hmm. Otherwise things would just start sounding monotonous. Yeah. So I've really been trying to take the approach of listening really hard and not being afraid to go for things in the studio. And going for going, f and, and and not being afraid of being so of like being super metronom, so, like not trying to be super metronomic and yep. be free and elastic, as you would be playing on the street. I understand. So you can get some of that feeling in a recording, and uh, and if it doesn't work, you just do it up, do, it do some <laughs> other things because that's because that's what Pro Tools is these days. Yeah. But um, also for like the nerdy drumming side of it, like uh, I never in the studio would put my own, like the drums in my headphone mix. Cause I always thought that, oh, the drums are just too loud in general. Like why do I need to put them in my headphones? And now like it was only like a couple of years ago, I'll thank a drummer named Ted Paul, who's an amazing drummer. Um, that he was like, no, you have to put put your mix in, in your headphones, like your drums in mm. loud. Mm. That way you play soft and then the microphones do the job. Yeah. Because as soon as you beat a drum in the studio, it's just like, not only do you like, like if you're playing together in a room, it just bleeds everywhere, but it just takes up so much sonic space. Yep. And you get so much tone, more tone out of, an instrument when you play it soft and then you allow the microphones to like pick up the natural tone yeah. when you're not bashing something. There's a reason that's a $20,000 microphone. Exactly. <laughs> and um, there's a lot of great engineers I've been able to work with uh, who I've learned a lot from in that regard, like mm -hmm. how sound, like just how sound and compression and how to approach playing a room in a studio works. And like I could, I should shout them out like Pete Min, 
Justin Stanley, someone who uh, Husky Huskolds, uh, then somebody who uh, really enjoy working with David Boucher, who he does all the um, all the Disney movies like Frozen, Coco. Like he's recorded yeah, them all. Like in, you know, his job is recording Honey Piece Orchestra and all this stuff. Wow, yeah. He does all the Randy Newman's records, and he's such a beast in the studio. And he's part of the band. And that's why they get the big bucks as engineers because yeah. they like can just pull a sound, and it's like yeah, you don't have to work hard in the mix either. But um, yeah, like working with David, I did an album with this uh, amazingly talented young woman named Madison Cunningham. We made this album a year ago in the desert, and that's when I realized the power of like an incredible engineer. Mm. and just how I could turn myself up in the cans and, like, everything sounded great. And I didn't – he was like, just play soft. And I would play brushes and everything would get picked up and we would just use one mic. And I was just like – that's when I just discovered, like, oh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's really changed my whole approach. Yeah. And um, I just um, – but I'm just learning so much all the time and I'm so grateful to be in L.A. and be around all these – folks that like we all admire you know yeah so like you have a little hint of that i'm trying not to take that for granted at all and just soak it in yeah yeah um i mean you're not so much a drummer now as you are just an all-out musician Mm -hmm. was there a moment where things changed for you from just oh geez i'm not just a drummer here Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more than me yeah was was there a moment was there a moment where that happened or it just kind of yeah, I mean, there's been moments where I've been on gigs and I'm playing, I'm like, I'm actually not enjoying this. And uh, I've really made a decision now to, like, try and just stick playing situations that I really want to be there, mm. even if there is no bread and I'm going to have to take a hit. Um, and I'm also enjoying writing songs and learning other instruments and, like, mm. the challenge of playing live with Jake and Abe and, like... I. I've never felt this kind of nerves before a gig like I do now when I'm playing my own gig to Jake. Oh, that's cool. And singing and stuff. And that's like, if it, that's that's a good sign, I think, to like have that energy mm. as opposed to like, I mean, I still get nervous playing the drums, but like just to have that that new, just to, to do new, new things. New excitement. That new human experience, hey. And I've been doing like, also working a lot with Michelle and then getting into like the film and TV world. I've been doing a lot of TV scoring over the last four years. Like we, we score a TV show together. Right. Um, and it's just it's about to go to its fifth season. Scoring from a um, from a writing? Yeah, like yeah. Um, basically all the background music to a TV drama that I've been doing uh, with Michelle and Chris and Jevin together and uh, – I've been engineering it and mixing it, which is oh, like cool. just been really a great challenge for me. And like I've just been learning stuff about that, and I enjoy it. Mm. And I think that's something I want to do more of. I just did another little thing that's coming out on Netflix in February with my friend Larry Goldings, who's an incredible piano player, piano player and composer. And mm. he asked me to do some like funny again, <laughs> Jay Diller style remixing <laughs> of. Um, of uh, some some cues that he wrote for this show called Madam C.J. Walker that's coming out mm-hmm. on Netflix. And uh, the TV world is so funny, you know, because there's like 25 people who have to say yes 
to the to the end product, you know. Right. So it's not just like making, you know, your own music or anything like that. There's right. like so many people that have to yes things. And uh so it's got through past all those. Well, yeah, I mean, poor Larry, he's this this show is set in 1910 and it's about uh the first black woman in America to be a millionaire in 1910. And she made hair products. And she's played by Octavia Spencer and uh, all the music they wanted in it was like period music from 1910, 20s. So there's a lot of ragtime, old blues, kind of like <clears throat> Jelly Roll Morton, Blind Blake stuff. So he did all this amazing music with like all these old musicians he found and recorded it. And then like after they heard it, they're like, oh, this is great. We're going to use all this. But you think you could like make, just to make it sound a little bit more, more modern too? We really like Jay Diller. And he was like, what? <laughs> so I was very... Uh, fortunately, he gave me a call and I was like, okay, I can try because he knows I, I do TV stuff with Michelle. So mm. I did a bunch of, I took all of his stems they he recorded like of old clarinets and him playing stride piano and I just put, made some beats to them and stuff and they dug it. So that's cool. Oh, great. But it's like a whole another world too. Like there's so many different pockets of things musically. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, I, I, I'm enjoying trying to be a part of a lot of all those things. Yeah. yeah, I think we need to wear a lot of hats these days, eh? Totally. To survive, you know? And, um, yeah. And it sounds like you're in the right place, LA. Yeah, La La Land. La La Land. You can be full of shit. <laughs> well, what's it's been, what's been the big... full of shit in ways, yeah. but, like, after being there, there for six years, like, I've managed to make really good friends just with people who are, um, you know, that I that I love and it's all it's genuine, you know? What do you mean... Expand on the fuller shit. Oh, it's just Hollywood, and you know. That's Hollywood. Okay, that thing. You know, if you people always, I mean, it could be said for anywhere, but especially there, it's just like, what can you do for me? And that's all. Okay, it's all that. Who are you, and what have you done? And you know, no one. You walk into a bar, and somewhere in Hollywood, wood that's cool, and this is like no one looks you in the eye, and everyone's kind of worried about who's here. You know, mm. it's a bit more about that. And, you know, that, that exists and there's a way to navigate around that. And I remember I was reading, I was uh, watching and listening to an interview of David Lynch. Someone asked him, like, what's the key to success in L.A.? And he was like, eye contact. <laughs> yeah, right. So I was like, wow, that's such a cool take on it. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, what about gear? Drums. Drum gear. Let's talk about drum gear. Let's talk about right. drum gear. Um Playing with Michelle and, and, you know, she's pretty high profile. Do you get um, people coming to you wanting you to endorse their products? Does it work like um, that? To be honest, no drum company has ever approached me. Okay. Which is cool. Um, I'm not a big drum gear head mm -hmm. as much as I used to be in my teenage years. Yep. Now I sort of just play whatever and my I guess my favorite I'd like to say I'm endorsed my favorite company is backline drums like backline drums, <laughs> backline drums are my favorite that's great you just like, make them work just make them work man it's in yep. the hands I try to feel like it's in the hands but oh, that's um, cool I do play innovative design sticks mm -hmm. innovative percussion and they have a lot of cool different I like just like how many different brushes and mallets they have and it's all like really useful in the studio yep and uh uh I have an old tricks on drum set from the 50s, which is a German drum set. 
and they made these sort of like Salvador Dali drums, looking mm-hmm. drums, but they have this one that's sort of like uh, the bottom head size is smaller than, than the top. So like they're like cannon drums. Right. So I have, a, I have a set of those and they look really cool and they sound cool and they're pink. Did Trixon also make that bass drum that kind of looks like a blob? Yeah, exactly. The Salvador Dali looking Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's a cool drum set and I saw yeah. that and I was like, no one has that so I'm going to buy that. Right. And uh, CNC made me some drums for the Seal when I played with Seal. Okay. They made two drum sets. And uh, the cymbals that I love playing right now is this guy in Portland. He makes cymbals and he's named the company Cymbal and Gong. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't give any cymbals away, but and I just buy them. But uh, he makes replicas of like 60s, 50s, Ks and As and right. stuff. And they're really cool. They sound really good. Mm. Warm and buttery. Mm. But I've been getting into really bright stuff lately too. Like, um, it's all, yeah, I don't know. It's just sometimes it's just like you just, if you put Steve Jordan on some buckets, yeah. like it's going to sound good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Speaking of that, there was a video um, on Instagram because Steve Jordan is, I'm not sure if it's his partner, they, they have an Instagram account now. Yeah, the ver- verbs. The verbs. Oh, that's the band, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think is that his partner, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, but there's one video and he's playing in this um looks like a guitar shop mm-hmm. on this old beat up drum set. Oh cool. Fuck, it sounds great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sounds fucking Steve Jordan, eh? Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely a master, eh? Yeah. That's somebody who's like managed to transcend the drums in a way and like He's just like a total musician powerhouse, like yep. producer. A producer and, as well, yeah. And just understands it. Mm. Um, do you play like corporate gigs, wedding gigs and stuff Are you, um, when you need to back home? Or I am so fortunate that I haven't done a, <laughs> a, a wedding gig yeah. in a long time. And I've I had done to, my fair share. I had to, yeah, yeah. I had to ask that one. Um, yeah. And yes, I have not and I am... But I have done my fair share. Yep. Don't worry about that. Um, but no. Um, now, if I feel like I'm not busy, I stay home and just try and write like, mm-hmm. and um, eat tacos. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. So what's what's the rest of 2012? Oh, fuck. 12. No, that's cool. Let's we got to go back. <laughs> 2020, bro. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, man. What do you got going on 2020? 2020, well, I made a decision to myself to um, to quote Michelle, your yes means nothing if you can't say no. Uh-huh. So I'm trying to make a decision to just sort of focus on things I really want to do, a la my band with Jake, yep. Jake and Abe, finishing my own solo project, which I've recorded a little bit of, but I still need to sort of navigate what it is and uh-huh. finish it. Um and playing with Michelle, um, and then just being around in LA and available to play on recordings, and awesome. maybe try and get into a field of writing some more music for for picture, and trying to involve myself in some more art, creative endeavors that I'm involved with um, as an artist myself. Yeah. And uh, if that bites me in the bum financially, so be it. But I want to really sort of 
make that a priority now while I while I still can. Yeah. That's cool, man. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> Talk next year. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. All right, A Browns, thanks so much for sitting with me on the podcast and Thank you, chatting Jamie. and yeah, telling me all about your stuff. It's really cool, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, glad we got time. Glad we got the time to catch up before you head home. Yeah, it was yeah. really cool. And I thank you, and I hope some gang from Sydney, um, yeah, like they can sort of just hear hear that, hear my story, and like just kind of take from it as they best they can. And yeah, like, I don't know, just I'm trying to be as giving as I can. That's great. I've been very fortunate to come out of this great scene here, and like be able to sustain myself as a musician and it's only because of all the people here that I've been around with and yep. I'm just very grateful. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Thanks, bro. Cheers, Abe. Cheers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank you.